And welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As longtime listeners of our show know, each and every week, a guest and I discuss the Torah portion that will be read the week that we are recording this show. Our show is broadcast on Sunday, the 28th of March. The day before the 27th, the Torah portion is Tzav. It comes from the book of Leviticus, beginning with chapter 6, verse 1, and continuing with through to chapter 8. The day that this is record, being released is the first day of Passover, but the Torah portion on the Saturday does not reflect the upcoming holiday. It will still be the prescribed Torah portion. As is our custom, I'll give you an overview of the Torah portion, as my guest and I will only focus, as time allows, on one or two central aspects of it. In this week's Torah portion, God speaks to Moses and commands a certain number of sacrifices that will be offered in the sanctuary or tabernacle. God instructs Moses to command Aaron and his sons regarding their duties, rights, and obligations as Kohanim, priests who offer the korbanot, animal and meal offerings in the sanctuary. The Torah portion makes known that the fire on the altar must be kept burning at all times. In it are burned the wholly consumed ascending offering, veins of fat from the peace, sin, and guilt offering, and what is known in the Hebrew as the handful, separated from the meal offering. The Kohanim eat the meat of the sin and guilt offerings and the remainder of the meal offering. The peace offering is eaten by the one who brought it, except for specified portions given to the Kohen. The holy meat of the offerings must be eaten by ritually pure persons, as defined by the Torah in their designated holy place and within their specified time. The Torah portion concludes by telling us that Aaron and his sons must remain within the sanctuary compound for seven days, during which Moses will initiate them into the priesthood. As one can hear, this is part of the introduction to the sacrificial cult, which would be the primary means by which God and the Israelites would connect. In fact, the Hebrew word korbanot, translated usually as sacrifices, 
comes from the Hebrew three-letter word karev, to come close. Sacrifices were the means by which the Torah indicated that the Israelites and God could come close to each other. With me this morning to discuss this week's Torah portion is Rabbi William Tepper. Rabbi Tepper is a longtime congregant and educator at the Holy Blossom Temple in Toronto, Canada, and has led the Temple Shalom Congregation in Winnipeg, Canada, and the Mitzbeh Congregation in Chattanooga, Tennessee, in the United States. He has spent 15 years as an educator prior to his entering the rabbinate, teaching drama and English uh, to, and community theater in Toronto, Ontario. He is now the rabbi of Congregation Ir HaMelech in Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Fact, Rabbi Tepper. Thank you very much, Rabbi Garden. And, uh, good morning, everyone who is listening and joining us. Um, rabbi Garden is a very special person to me. Rabbi Garden is one of the people uh, who's responsible for my being rabbi today. Um, we first met many, many years ago at one of our Jewish camps in Canada, and almost from the get-go, Rabbi Garden was a mentor and advisor, and uh, we've continued to connect and cross paths over the years. So I'm thankful to be uh, sharing this forum, this platform, this uh, learning opportunity with him today. So as Rabbi Garten explained, we are in the book of Leviticus. We're in the second uh, portion of the book of Leviticus. And uh, we've said goodbye for several weeks to any narrative, any stories, so to speak, uh, regarding the matriarchs, patriarchs, uh, even Moses doesn't make any appearance in uh, or very few appearances, because this is all about law. The book of Leviticus is entirely law, and it's no coincidence that the book of Leviticus also occupies the very center of the five books of Moses. It's the third of the five books of Moses, and the focus is all entirely on law. So those who open up the Torah for study or learning, hoping to engage one of our ancestors or one of the stories or narratives, well, they, he or she will just have to be patient and wait until we've got through all of this law, so to speak, um, because this is what the Torah is really and truly about. It's about instruction. It's about the mitzvah, the commandments. Now, Rabbi Garden shared with you uh, a little survey of what this Torah portion, Tzav, is about. Tzav is the command, the imperative form for mitzvah, which means command. So it's the command form for 
command, so to speak. Uh, and what's being commanded is Rabbi Garten shared, is the sacrifices and the whole rituals and ordinations, uh, rituals pertaining to the ordination of the first high priest. The high priest, those who will act as the intermediaries between God and the people, those who will facilitate that connection between the God and the Israelite people through the sacrifices that the people will bring to the tabernacle in the wilderness and centuries later to the temple in Jerusalem. Now there are two features of the Torah portion of Sab that strike me as important and relevant. One is described briefly by Rabbi Garten, and that is the sacrifice of peace. Now, it's not really in Hebrew referred to as a sacrifice of peace. It is and it isn't. Because the Hebrew is zabach, which is one of the Hebrew words, biblical words for sacrifice, zabach, and shalamim. Now, shalamim be very easily construed as meaning peace because it's related to the word shalom. But shalamim and shalom also mean, and I can't overstate how important this is, also mean wholeness, to be whole, to be together, to have integrity emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and physically. So it's a sacrifice that is an offering to God in order to acquire, in the hope of acquiring, that feeling of wholeness. Wholeness hey, of, of... Rabbi, I just want to continue with that for a moment. We note, as Rabbi Tepper introduced us to, the question of how to translate Zevach Shlamim. Uh, so there are many different translations. One that we find in the Jewish Publication Society commentary is a translation, Sacrifice of Well-Being. And we're told that the Septuagint, the Greek translation of which the King James Version of the Bible is based, actually has three different translations. Rab Robert Alter, who taught biblical narrative and interpretation at Berkeley University in California, University of California at Berkeley, calls it a communion sacrifice. And Everett Fox, a well-known biblical scholar from Massachusetts, decided not to translate it at all in his personal translation of the Torah and simply called it a slaughtering offering of shalom. And therefore you can find 
in the variety of translations offered of this biblical term, the wealth of uh, meaning that can be found within this kind of sacrificial approach. And as Rabbi was suggesting to us, the real basis of this is the Hebrew word shalom, which has the root of wholeness to it, which Rabbi Tepper then went on to uh, transform from wholeness with uh, W-H-O-L-E-N-E-S-S to holiness. And so I want Rabbi Tepper to continue with his homily here about the sacrifice of, well, we'll let him continue to tell us how we should understand translating it. Okay, good. Thank you very, very much, Rabbi Garten. And uh, we, um, we would have been remiss uh, had not Rabbi Garten shared with all of you who are listening the importance of translation. And uh, we spend the better part of our time in rabbinical school uh, engaged in translation <laughs> well into the night. Uh, you can picture that. And uh, one of the things that we're taught and we're taught is that, um, of course, as Rabbi Garden showed, multiple translations of a single Hebrew text into English and other languages as well. And uh, one thing that has always stayed with me from one of our teachers in rabbinical school is that no translation can be trusted accept your own. The only translation that is authentic is the one that you uh, arrive at yourself. So no disrespect or discounting any of the other texts that Rabbi Garden went through, which are all outstanding texts, particularly the Robert Alter translation, which is outstanding. Um, but translation is a very, very uh, complex business. A translation is interpretation. Some of you per, may have heard that expression. So just getting back to this uh, sacrifice of wholeness, sacrifice of peace, zabah, shalomim, uh, it's a way, it, it can be, it can be interpreted as a way of attaining peace, inner peace, uh, health, physical, emotional, spiritual health, prosperity, okay? It can be looked at as a form of uh, personal growth because none of us want to remain static or in the same place, and God forbid, none of us want to regress either. So it can be seen as a way of growing and Progressing, it can also be seen as a way of um, uh, experiencing and communicating empathy, empathy and compassion and understanding, because that way you and I bring shalomim or shalom or wholeness to the rest of the world. Okay, I'm being sensitive to the time here. And um, 
uh, Rabbi Garden's looking at me a certain way, so I think maybe he kind of remind me about that. So I'm just going to move over to the subject of the ordination of the high priests. And before you do about, that, before okay. you do that, okay. Um, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to try and understand why this kind of sacrifice was commanded. You've explained what the meaning was very nicely, but why was an individual asked to bring this kind of sacrifice? The behavior was understood. The Ten Commandments, which are found in Exodus, might be an example of moral behavior. Uh, in our Torah portion, individuals are asked to bring sin offerings, sacrifices in expiation of sin. But why a sacrifice um, in the name of holiness or in the name of compassion? What purpose would that serve as you understand it? Well, one reason might be, and I was reflecting on that uh, as you were speaking at Rabbi Garden, one reason might be that we are being reminded by our tradition, by the God of Israel, that uh, we don't exist in vacuums and that uh, we are part of something much larger and the inner peace that we ex the peace that we experience, uh, the wholeness that we experience, is something that is meant to be experienced by those around us as well. And um, we're part of a very, very large community. We're part of a community of communities. So perhaps God is uh, informing or reminding the Israelite people that they have to be on their toes. They have to be aware. They have to be sensitive. Uh, they have to be empathetic. Um, and they cannot take things for granted. Okay? This is a laundry list of sacrifices that they have to, that they are responsible for that's incumbent on them. So, uh, nothing is to be taken for granted. Peace, uh, atonement, um, empathy, forgiveness, understanding, um, well-being, uh, the constant reminders. And the sacrifices are a form of, um, uh, they're a form of gratitude. Okay. They are blessings, so to speak. They are forms of gratitude and praise to God. And they are also a form of petition or prayer, because prayer is petition. When we pray, we are requesting something. We're asking for something. And, uh, and that is that uh, uh, through our own efforts and through God's protection uh, under the wings of God, so to speak, uh, we will continue to progress as a people, Jewish and otherwise. Okay. So you might say 
that this particular sacrifice is a unique sacrifice. It is not a sacrifice in response to something that has happened. It's a sacrifice in anticipation of uh, behavior that uh, God hopes that we will affirm rather than the sin offering or other kinds of offerings uh, for behavior that have transpired or are immediately transpiring, like a grain offering. I bring the grain from the harvest so that there's an immediacy to it. But this one will be the ongoing commitment of the person who brings it to a behavior in the future. And as you've alluded to, Rabbi Tepper, this also uh, calls to mind uh, the similarity between sacrifice and that which would replace it when the temple was destroyed in 70, the notion of prayer. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, we do have some time left, and so you indicated that you might like to speak about the parallels between the ordination of the priesthood in the book of Leviticus and the ordination of rabbis in the 21st century. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yes, thank you, Rabbi Garden. And, uh, and this is something very important. I've always brought this up in any Torah study uh, setting um, uh, where I've been present or that I've guided. This parallel or distinguishing between what the priests had to go through uh, to take their position and uh, what the expectations of them were and Rabbis today, rabbis like Rabbi Garden, myself, and all of our colleagues of all Jewish persuasions. Uh, for starters, um, the priest was not, the priest had an awe of holiness about him. He was associated with sanctity. And some of you may know that holiness is also associated from Hebrew. It's associated with being apart, being set apart. And rabbis today are very much um, embedded in their communities. Uh, we, we lead lives uh, alongside our communities, alongside those we serve. There are still expectations. We are still exemplars. Okay. Um, and some of us are still placed on uh, pedestals, okay? But we are also human. We're very, very human. And uh, we are teachers, and we are guides, and we are listeners, and we um, console, so to speak. But we are not set apart from the community in the same kind of sense that the high priest is. Something else that's very interesting is that um, the high priest, the ritual that's described, the ritual of ordination as described in the Torah portion 
is uh, repeated over a seven-day period. In other words, it's not a one-off. <laughs> um, whatever they go through on that first day, they have to go through again for the next six days. And uh, it's no coincidence of seven, because seven is a seminal number in our Jewish view of the world. So seven associated with creation, so to speak. Uh, whereas rabbis, one day it's over, okay? All right, one morning, one evening, one afternoon, whatever. And it's all very nice. It's of course, nice. the, but, the major difference would be, as our listeners may know, is that the priesthood is a uh, title that is hereditary, that priests are affirmed by their hereditary connection to Aaron's sons. And while there are uh, rules that determine the fitness of the priest to offer the sacrifice and rules which can disqualify the priest from offering the sacrifice, the significant variation after the destruction of the after the destruction of the temple in 70 was that the rabbis, of which Rabbi Tepper is one of the descendants 2,000 years later, are not hereditary inheritors of the title, but they are uh, earned title by virtue of their knowledge and studies. Modern rabbis may have a more formal course of study at a seminary with a uh, point of beginning and a point of end, where some more traditional uh, titles are uh, accrued by virtue of long-time study, uh, because those rabbis may not choose to act in a congregational communal setting. So I think Rabbi Tepper has kind of given you an insight into the different kinds of sacred leadership. Uh, the priest was an uh, exemplar of a type of purity, ritual purity, and the rabbi is an exemplar of an uh, educated student of Torah. And the rabbi's behavior is uh, a reflection of the rabbi's commitment to Torah as was determined over the centuries and eons since the destruction of the temple. Um, so Rabbi Tepper, we have about uh, a minute left. Did you want to add something else about the priesthood and the ordination of the priesthood? Um, I think between the two of us, we've touched on a lot of good points. Um, uh, the whole idea of the priesthood being hereditary, uh, rab rabbinate, that's not necessarily the case. We may uh, hear of or meet someone who comes from a long, long line of rabbis going back to the 15th century, but that's not, uh, that's not required. Uh, I'm the first rabbi in my family, as far as I know. Okay. 
But um, I think that uh, rabbis, uh, we have to um, we have to set examples, and uh, we, it's a constant effort. It's a constant uh, uh, job to make sure that that example is set, and uh, the rabbi to be present, to be present for joyous times, to be present for grievous times, and all the times in between as well. And um, it's, uh, it's it's a great life. It's a really great life. Thank you, Rabbi Garden. Well, I want to thank my guest today, Rabbi William Tepper of Ir HaMelech Congregation in Kingston, Ontario, for uh, continuing our conversation of the Book of Leviticus, a very challenging book. As he indicated, it interrupts the narrative and focuses on the laws related to the sacrificial cult. You can hear a podcast of this morning's show on iTunes or find it on the chri.ca website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten wishing you a good day, a happy Passover if you're observing and celebrating Passover, and Shalom. Shalom.